Hello everybody and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness. I'm your host Ant and once again I'm joined by my co-host Mike. Hello Mike. Hi there Anthony, nice to be here again. Uh, today we're talking about the film They Live. Such a powerful, insightful and the artistic and visual design elements yeah, are yeah, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely, very clever. So we just crack on now, Mike, with a background to the film They Live. Um, so it was released uh, in 1988, of course directed by the great John Carpenter, in his 11th film. And even by the standards of the time back in 1988, it had a tiny budget of three million dollars which is hard to believe yeah only three million that's really you can hard barely to... get the buffet card with most films these days <laughs> with that. and it did go on to make um 30 million dollars which is impressive and uh whilst doing some research for this uh, particular episode i saw an interview with some of the cast and they were saying that the show was actually at the top the, the film i should say was at the top of the u.s box office for two weeks following release and then it just completely disappeared what just like yeah, that? It, didn't, it didn't even go to um, video, which would have been at the time, of course, back in the eighties. It just went completely wiped. What? So it was out for two weeks in the cinema and then disappeared until someone put it on DVD release or yeah, something like that. Many many years later, and as um, Frank, who was played by Keith Davison, he was explaining during this uh, talk. He said. Um, we'd obviously pissed someone off because the, the true meaning or message of the film was actually um, getting out there or the truth was getting out there for want of a better phrase. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and it sounds like they, they pulled it, which is interesting because I thought initially, my belief that it wasn't popular initially when it was released and it only became popular as a cult classic. I mean, obviously it has become popular as a cult classic, but you know, I, I had no idea that that um, when it was initially released, it had such a following. Well, I only found out about it through, um, what was it? There was always clips from They Live in um, David Icke presentations yeah, and sure. videos. So I was always interested, like, where do those things come from? They're amazing. Um, and then, yeah, my surprise to find out that it's a film that came out in the in the 80s and sure. I'd never heard of it before. Yeah, yeah. Well, no wonder if it was only out for two weeks and then disappeared. Exactly, precisely, <laughs> yeah. So, as I mentioned, one of the cast, uh, that was Keith Davison, he played uh, Frank. Uh, then we had uh, Roddy Piper, who played George Nader and Meg Foster. And the script, were, the script was um, adapted from a 1966 Ray Nelson short story called Eight O'Clock in the Morning. What a weird name. It is a bit strange, isn't it? <laughs> Which was published in fantasy and science fiction magazine. I mean, obviously in the 60s there was no internet, so that's obviously the platform for for stories for stories like that. So it's uh, interesting. So what we do now is we're going to just um, walk you through the film, scene by scene, and we'll pick out the main pertinent um, themes and ideas that John Carpenter was trying to relay. Obviously we can't know verbatim the message that he was trying to portray, because obviously uh directors very rarely will clearly say in interview this is what i wanted you know the message this film to say so we can only surmise but you know this is our interpretation at the this end is of our day. interpretation but i think they're quite wild widely held aren't they because yeah. they're they're not exactly subtle no. <laughs> shall we say i think <laughs> why do you think it got bad after yeah two exactly weeks? <laughs> precisely so the film the first scene mike the film begins with the main character uh, known as George Nader, the Roddy Piper, the great Roddy Piper, his character. The interesting thing about the main character in this film is he's never actually 
he's never actually referred to as George, or he's never actually referred to as George Nader. Yeah, I didn't even know his name until you brought that yeah, up. Yeah, no, nor did I, to be but honest. But I think the idea of that is that um, it gives the ability that every man or every person can put themselves in that shoes in that situation. Sure, yeah. You know, it's like with games with um, voiceless protagonists, so it's so much easier to pretend you're that character. So you can just imprint yourself. I mean, what was it? At the end of the day, there is almost a scene within the film that explains the whole TV hypothesis and escapism aspect. Sure, yeah. Um, and it even says on an actress on TV, going, oh, every time I watch TV, I can pretend I'm this, that, on the other, and literally yeah. just flat out um, explaining um, the whole escapist method. Mm, yeah, I mean, and that's where the message of the film in terms of, you know, the propaganda, uh, mind control, TV, it is pretty much in your face. It's not exactly metaphorical, is it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the scene opens uh, with the main character, Nada, and he's uh, walking and he's got all his possessions on his back and he's surrounded by what is a scene of social economic decay. Uh, he walks by a railway line. There's um, uh, graffiti everywhere. There's um, homeless, pe homeless people dotted around. Um, he strikes a, a lonely figure, doesn't he, Mike? And in the background, there's like, you can see the skyscrapers, the Los Angeles skyline. So you've got that sort of contradiction of um, wealth being portrayed in the distance and then surrounding him is this sort of whole sort of Reagan era, Reagan economics, economic decay. Fallout situation. Fallout. Yeah. So you've got the sort of the haves and the have-nots sort of uh, displayed in very simple terms. Um, in t in in the in terms of the character himself, Nada, what's interesting is he quite clearly is the embodiment of the American hero. If we think of the hero, which we spoke about the hero's journey in a previous episode, he's white. He's he's physically strong, so he's like that sort of archetypal American uh, type figure. But in terms of um, the fall card from the major arcana in the, the tarot. He, he, the visual representation of him is very similar because the fool in the tarot has all his possessions. It's got like a bindle, has all his yeah. possessions on his back. And this character, uh, the hero of the journey, he's got like uh, uh, all his possessions on his back because he effectively he's left his hometown. He's come to L.A. So he's pretty much homeless yeah. until he can get a job, earn some money. Um, and with that. So he's obviously quite naive in that he expects to find work. He's travelled to L.A., obviously the big city, you know. So he, to me, he does embody the fall from the tarot in that it's that naivety that he has. Yes, um, but the naivety comes through because, you know, he does get a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in terms of his naivety, his belief in the system, as we will um, look at in a moment when he first meets um, Frank, he says to Frank... I believe in America. I follow the rules. Everyone has hard times at the moment. So although he's surrounded by all this economic decay, he goes into the unemployment uh, um, He still centre. believes in the system. Yeah, and, and the lady in there says, there's no jobs for you. And he actually even says all oh, 14 banks, you know, um, closed last week. So he's aware of all of this, but he still has hopes. He still has his dream, a bit like the hero before they venture out on the journey you know that before reality begins to strike and they're tested because he, yeah. he does get tested a um, lot <laughs> yeah quite a lot and also what's interesting um in terms of um when he first meets frank is initially frank is a bit like a mentor if you think of the archetypes one of the main archetypes which we've discussed before because um he offers nada he offers him 
food and shelter. He shows him somewhere to say where he can stay. And then the roles reverse, don't they? I mean, later yeah, on later in the, on film, the film, so which will become clear. So moving back to the actual scene in the film, we see Nada, uh, the Roddy Piper character. Eventually he moves on from railway sidings and he walks to a park and he sees uh, what looks like a, a, a preacher. Uh, and he's uh, making this speech and he's um, he's very animated in, in, in what he's saying and he's on it he he does sound a bit like um, he's a bit crazy because he's he's speaking in you know high-pitched voice there's people looking on who are looking a bit concerned so nada he just he just stands there for a while and what I'll do uh, Mike is I'll just read what the preacher says and then we'll we'll discuss and analyze and it, analyze yeah. it so the preacher says it's really powerful stuff. He says, and I quote, they use their tongues to deceive you. The venom of snakes is on their lips. They have taken the hearts and minds of our leaders. They have recruited the rich and the powerful and they have binded us to the truth. Our human spirit. Sorry, I, they have blinded us. I should say they have blinded us to the truth. Our human spirit is corrupted. Why do we worship greed? Because outside the limit of our sight, they are feeding off us, perched on top of us from birth to death. Our owners, our owners, they have us, they control us, they are our masters. Wake up, they are all around you. Now this is, this is really fascinating, this speech from the preacher, because it sets the tone for the whole movie. Yeah. And... John Carpenter, obviously, the point he's trying to make is the fact that the police within seconds come along and, and arrest uh, him, ferry him off, obviously yeah, making the point. Shut like, him up. <laughs> yeah, that what he's saying essentially um, is, is the truth. So I'll just make a point, first of all, then maybe you can add a few points, yeah. Mike, is the fact what I found interesting is when he said outside the limit of our sight, they are feeding off us. So that immediately brought to mind the metaphor of in the matrix when neo sees for the first time that billions of people are in human pods where human consciousness is just being harvested yeah like so, batteries well, like batteries so i thought that was an interesting um analogy um for that and also it's the first reference point of the idea of an alien force intelligence or alien beings working with or through the political elite or shadow government to keep human consciousness suppressed and vibrating at a low level for the purposes of control so that speech it, it really as i say it sets the theme doesn't it yeah i mean with the whole reptilian um yeah. conspiracy yeah you've got the elements of you know their serpent tongues they're lying sure. to us yes so the serpent um imagery has been used throughout history um and as far as we're concerned they always represents um that negative kind of like control conspiracy sure. side of things yeah um you've got the fact that they're outside the limit of our sight and sure. essentially going to the conspiracy uh, what the conspiracy says about you know they're only putting on human clothes essentially like sure. they're projecting that image and really they are reptilians behind that um so it's interesting how they combine all those into into that one speech quite well it's a bit like the conspiracy bible that quote isn't it yeah yeah um you know what was the other bits about it um you know that we worship greed we have sure. been all taught from an early age within our society to be greedy you know the dog eat dog world sure 
Yeah, and thank you for that. It's interesting. And just to add to this idea of outside the limit of eyesight they are feeding off us is the idea that uh, we know through, you know, scientific research that human beings, we, we can only perceive a few percentage points of the light spectrum. So again, this, this could be alluding to the fact that we are controlled out. The reason why we're so easily controlled is because we perceive so little of the light spectrum, which essentially is reality. So our perception of reality is is very narrow. So what he's alluding to in his speech is they are controlling us outside of our perception of reality, essentially. Yes. And also what I found interesting about this is you just alluded to, Mike, was the idea of why do we worship greed? And it is this idea of us just being mindless, unconscious consumers. And I've said before how it's always interesting when you listen to politicians speak, especially in times of crisis, because George W. Bush, what he said uh, in the immediate wake after 9-11 was words to the effect of don't worry, go back to consuming go back to shopping you know so again that's how they control us and and you see that in the tv adverts in the film don't you what they keep calm and carry on stuff. yeah <laughs> and also the fact that you know like with the woman on the tv screen it's all about her it's all about you can be the star you can be which again is very much about um social media yeah. you can be you know the star in your own movie i mean that's you know twenty head twenty odd years um, ahead of its ahead of its time. I just wonder what John Carpenter would have done that with film if he had made it today. I know that would. Be... I mean, considering of all the extra elements that have come into sure. play with um, technology. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing that I think is really interesting um, about this particular quote is the way in which it's about. Um, he's talking really also about. Um, consciousness as well of course in, in that they're trying to control human consciousness and really to, to 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 break the human spirit and that's why the emphasis of the culture is to focus on false gods like money career material possessions and I just think yeah that quote just for me just bri brilliantly yeah, sums it all up going back to the, the human spirit is corrupted yeah I mean I often find it so strange that people always say that oh just look how many wars there's been in the past human nature is to fight sure and I always find that argument so frustrating because yes there's been a lot of wars in the past but always orchestrated by people who want to get rich sure um but truthfully speaking the human nature is to come together as a collective and sure. help each other because that is the very foundation of society and yeah. how we manage to get to the position that we exist in today with our comfy lifestyles and also i think that if we lived in a society that was based on human truth and where we could thrive then that desire to want to kill anyone would just wouldn't want to just wouldn't be there yeah exactly it's a false installation as i call it yeah really. so i always find that 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 human spirit is corrupted um argument and the fact that well actually if true human spirit and human nature came out all these problems would go away sure and also just lastly on this speech then we'll move on mike is this idea um our human spirit is corrupted to me speaks of um, the way in which a society is despiritualized. We live in a despiritualized world. Now, yeah. one of those things, we see that with the fact that a lot of the Western world is quite atheistic. Now, I'm not saying that 
you know, it's necessarily a good thing to have mass religion, but that is one of the ways in which we've be, been despiritualized, if you like. Well, to be fair, Christianity started off despiritualized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you True. Know, yeah, yeah. It's but, not the best place to start with that idea. No, but um, yeah, so we can see the way in which. I know that's the word I've, it's come to my mind now, the way in which we've been degraded. If you look at, um, you know, a lot of uh, modern um, TV shows and the, the, the issues that they're dealing with, they're not they're not um, things that are going to raise people's consciousness. There's a lot of it. It's like just titillation. Exactly. Reality TV has yeah. become the norm. I mean, I remember when Discovery Channel used to have proper programs on it you sure, know yeah. i used to love um, the documentary channels and now they're almost all reality tvs yeah sure um so moving on now so as i say the preacher he gets um ferreted off because he's um he's he's speaking speaking the truth um basically and then um nada he meets um frank uh for the first time uh on the construction site uh, and then he uh, basically um, they go to the uh, what's like an encampment, well, or like a homeless shelter. It's where it's where the rebel group is sort of like where their base is because they got the church, haven't they? Yeah. Which is opposite. Now I find it interesting with that, um, you know, the homeless slums. Yeah. Is the fact that it is almost predicting what's happening now. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I don't think the homeless problem in america was... it wasn't so much of an issue yeah where now 30 you... years ago anyway yeah and now you find there's a lot of um a lot of them building up around america and they're sure. being made illegal sure. then suddenly it was um illegal for people to help feed the homeless sure. yeah. in some cities yeah it's you know very predictive in that sense yeah so yeah you can see how he he's it's it is one of the main themes of the film is how he certainly was spot on predicting the future. Yeah. I mean, pretty much quite scarily so, to be honest. Um, so Frank and Nada, they're now um, at this sort of a homeless shelter place uh, where you've got families and people are cooking and just living outside of the system, essentially. And then some people are gathered around looking at a TV screen and then the normal broadcast is broken up and there's like hiss on the screen. And then, and then it's hacked, and then one of the main members of this opposition group, who's trying to bring down this alien intelligence, or whatever they might be, <laughs> um, he makes a really important speech, which again, we'll, um, we'll read this out, and then we'll discuss it um, a little bit more. So the hacker guy on the screen, he says, Our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep. The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society and we are their unwitting accomplices. Their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own gain. Please understand they are safe as long as they are not discovered. That is their primary method of survival. Keep us asleep, keep us sedated. Now, if that isn't a description of modern day society, then I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what is. Yeah. <laughs> so just um, Mike, just going to bring up, pick up some few points there. What I like um, initially is this, where it says living in an artificially induced state of consciousness. 
Now, what that brings to mind is we live, uh, we tend to live in a society where people just think it's normal to be ill all the time, to have colds, to have flu, to have, you know, to generally be unwell. But if we were living in a healthy society where consciousness was more elevated, it, it, that, that wouldn't be the norm. So I think what, what this speech or what John Carpenter is talking about here is how we can relate to modern society in that perhaps because of chemicals in our food, maybe with geoengineering chemtrails, what might be being sprayed, our normal level, although it's not killing people, it is reducing, you know, our level of consciousness. Yeah, I mean, I find like taking that being ill all the time sort of mentality yeah. i find we've got the wrong idea in our in our heads with you know the adverts of this germ product and this germ product i mean we're all about killing the germs and making sure we no germs touch us sure, which yeah. i think is really the wrong idea it should sure. be like we should be in a healthy state that you know contact with your everyday germs isn't sure. going to do deadly squat to you sure i mean yeah. obviously you know you're doing a you know you're in a hospital you obviously want everything gone no germs whatsoever but you know to kill off all germs and never be in contact with germs just means that when you do get in contact with something it hits you 10 times harder oh that's why there's so many youngsters with so many allergies because they're never exposed exactly um so we have that wrong mentality there bundled up with then the fact that lack of nutrition and sure. our radiation suit we exist in sure. it's all bringing our immune system down to just make it easier for them to affect us as well sure to control and then the second bit, bit that I put, picked up from Mike from the speech is they have created a repressive society. And I would say yes, because in the West, um, free speech is um, dying a death due to political correctness and this whole idea of, you know, being woke and being progressive. So I think more and more um, there's like a psychological repressive element to society in a way. I mean, do you know what the weirdest thing about this new new oppressive movement of words yeah. Yeah. Um, is? It used to be the right wing that was like, ban this, you can't exactly. say this. And now it's the left the wing doing it. Saying that it's the right wing who are using hate speech. Yeah. And the other thing that I find interesting is it's not just repressive society in terms of uh, ideas that can and can't be used, but it's repressive in terms of economic degre degradation the growth of social isolation so all of these things that we've just come to accept as normal well they, they weren't so prevalent 40 years ago and to me they are more examples of the fact we do live in a repressive society in spite of the fact that we have all these technologies i still think it is a very repressive society that we live in and again i think john carpenter was pretty much on the money he knew where these trends were going in the late 80s yeah obviously. i mean what was it the the quote goes on to say um and we are the unwitting accomplices yeah sure. so we've actually built this system for exactly. them exactly based on what we've been told to do because at the end of the day you're only following orders exactly yeah exactly and and we've, we've done it to ourselves and then just lastly on this speech mike where he says uh, they have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own gain. And what makes, again, to me, that links, um, you know, to social media, how, how you know, people can be so nasty to, 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 um, to other people online. And it is, it's really about how that normal concern that we'd have for others, once you remove the face, once it becomes anonymous, people sort of develop this awful... You know quite nasty online persona or they can do well you? to be fair most people have a nasty persona to begin with let alone <laughs> online <laughs> yeah that's true 
but yeah as as i said when i uh, after i first read that i think that is um i can't i don't really have any issues with that quote he was obviously a, a very very clever clever guy john carpenter who yeah who, he who, saw it all knew what was going on he knew what was going on and he knew basically he knew he knew how it would all play out really so back to the movie itself um what's interesting is you have a, a lot of the people gathering around they they develop headaches or when they're watching the screen you can see them going oh not this again my head and um i some of the research i've done around this and i tend to agree with it is that that could be seen as a symbology or a metaphor for the fact that people aren't ready to hear the truth or the truth is just too painful or they can't comprehend it yeah um a lot of the times it's just too big like if you ask someone you know what does all of government do they they just be like oh they just take care of all of that and who cares you know yeah, it's, too sure. big. it's not my concern yeah. yeah sure um so when you actually start to say well actually behind the scenes that they're, they're after you or something it's like no no exactly and you know it's one of those it gets the clogs thinking you start you start coming up with the ideas i'm going well actually if it was like that that would mean that and that and that sure. and you know it leads you on a trail that most people just don't want to go it's down. because they don't the reason why i think it is because once you employ logical thinking and understand your role, you realise, oh, I do actually have power and responsibility. Whereas, like you said, Mike, oh, that's just the authorities. They just take my taxes each month. I let them get on with it. I know the authorities are going to keep me safe. If you look into that and realise these things are all, you know, they're, they're all falsehoods and the authorities aren't actually there to keep you safe, you, you look at it and, oh, my God, it, I, this implies that I have some responsibility. And I think uh, that's why... A lot of people will reject that and just think, well, no, the authorities, yeah, they're there. Um, they're doing what they need to do to protect me. So I can just get on and do what I need yeah, to do. Yeah, I just live my life. Um, another interesting point I picked up uh, with this scene is on the screen, um, just after, this is a few moments after the hacking has finished, the hacker speech has finished, you see two ta towers collapse a la Jackie and Boas. Uh, key some symbology in Freemasonry, of course, and obviously in terms of the 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 Kabbalah, I should say, the left and right pillars of the Tree of Life. Um, why do you think he put that in there? It's a bit of a misnomer, isn't it, really? Well, it's thought. Well, it could have been like um, you know, everyone says the nine eleven twin towers coming down right, was okay. represented in a lot of films sure. or media beforehand, like The Simpsons. Or it could have been a representation that um, you know. That's, you know, they're talking about the system and then that's the system coming, crumbling down, a sure. representation of that. Sure. But one thing I did found interesting that you did miss off with that quote, I think, earlier. Yeah. Was, um, you know, because it cuts out and cuts in this hacked signal. Yeah. Um, that it goes like eight months ago, scientists accidentally discovered a signal. Um, and it's this signal that's projecting the, um, you know, keeping us asleep. Sure. And not seeing everything that's going on. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's quite an important thing to mention because it relates to elements of the film later on and especially like the glasses that can get rid of that signal so yeah. you can see. Yeah, sure. Um, what's uh, the next point in the film interesting is um, when um, Frank um, begins to chat to Nada and Nader's beginning to obviously wake up to the fact that there's something very wrong in society. <laughs> And Frank gets uncomfortable and he says, um, I just want a simple life. Leave it alone. It ain't any of my business. So, again, that speaks to the fact of, look, 
I just want to keep to keep things simple. Please don't start questioning reality. You know, please don't look at things in a different way. But do you know what I find so interesting about that moment is that essentially he was the one earlier on saying, look, we're all messed exactly, up. You know, yeah, there's yeah. this and this and this going on. But sure. when it comes to actually, come on, look, there's something going on. Do you want to sure. be interested? See what's going on? Do something about it? No, I don't want no. to get involved. That's that classic thing. Well, I'll chat about it down the pub. But if you actually want me to actually do something about it and become involved in that change I'm, I'm kind of I'm not interested so the next main scene in the film is when the um, the hidden headquarters of the underground movement in the church that is attacked and raided by the police um, the camp uh, is also destroyed uh, and again um, Nardo is obviously beginning to see the reality his reality for the f first time the hostility and brutality of the police state who crush any opposition um, to elite control. And then the next scene is uh, after the attack, he returns to the church and this is when uh, on the wall there's a sign that says, they live, you sleep, but it's been painted over. So before when he was in church, before it was attacked, it was daubed on the wall. So when he went back after the attack, after the authorities had been in there, they'd whitewashed it over. So, well, do you know what? With that phrase, I actually think that was a the original name of the film wasn't just They Live. Was, oh, was they, they Live, You Sleep, but they just got rid of the You Sleep part at the yeah, moment. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got to admit, the film title They Live, it's pretty weird and odd, and it doesn't sure. necessarily represent what you're going to find in the film. No, 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 true, true. But given that complete title, it now makes a bit more sense, it doesn't does. it? It does. It does. Yeah, absolutely. So we're coming up to one of the most important points now when he um, he finds the boxes uh, of sunglasses and he puts on the sunglasses for the first time. So in this in this moment, his world is obviously totally transformed. It's a bit like in The Matrix when Neo takes the red pill and we're transformed to this scene, which reminds me of like that uh, very famous scene opening scene in Blade Runner. It's almost like that, but it's in black and white it's monochrome and he can see all the underlying messages on billboards and advertising words like obey consume no independent thought conform stay asleep no imagination and then he walks up to like a news agents where there's magazines and he could see similar messages on the uh, magazine covers and he um, bumps into or he encounters uh, his first um, alien, which is like a, a suited businessman or yeah. businessman or a, a CEO who isn't happy, who isn't happy the the fact that he's basically looking at him. him yeah, like why are you staring at me? Yeah, why 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 are you staring at me? And also the guy who runs the news agent, he's got the money in his hand, and rather than saying "In God We Trust," which it obviously does say it does say on the U.S. dollar, it says. This is your God. So it's obviously referencing the sigil, yeah. the power of the sigil on the money. Because everyone worships money these days. Yep. So the this is obviously the main scene from uh, the film They Live, which is relaying the main message about the fact that, you know, we're living in a fake reality, a dream, if you like, where the population is in a state of hypnosis, unaware that we are just mere, mere puppets. And it's the first time that the main character, Nader, as I said, sees aliens uh, living, living amongst the human population. So it is that it's that real 
it's the scene that you know basically well, it's the one that was always using the David Icke stuff, the, yeah, yeah, the famous yeah. scenes. Um, and I just find that scene absolutely fantastic, the whole black and white nature of sure. it. I love the, the monochrome, it works. Yeah, so the, well. the drilled down nature of just like, you know, you could sum up this thing with just one word sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that, you know, it doesn't matter what way you think about it, how much interpretations you want to put into an advert, it's just telling you to obey, buy, you know, sure. keep within the system. Sure. And, you know, that was his first time of seeing beyond that signal. Because mm. um, that's what I was saying about that signal early on. Because um, as soon as you put the glasses on, it breaks you from interpreting sure. the signal that's being sent out. Mm. So he could see everything. Mm. And it is fantastic when he's just, like, lifting up the glasses and down. It's like, what? Hang on. <laughs> How can this be? <laughs> and, yeah, as, as you say, Mike, what I like is the simplicity of the fact that it's just a word or a few words and, and everything else, all the gloss on the pages is just immaterial. All that really matters, obviously the message that John Carpenter was just trying to get across is what the advertisers are trying to, you know, the message that they're trying to send to the reader, be it a magazine. Uh, and I just, I just love that as with anything, there's beauty in the simplicity. Yes. Like. That's what I re really like in that scene. So moving on to the, the next scene, what happens is, um, he 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 stumbles around the city, obviously in a really confused state, taking his glasses off, putting them on, and then he stumbles into a shop where there are more. He gets to see more aliens just living and moving amongst the human population. And then we have got the famous quote where one of the aliens, who happens to be a woman, says, "I've got one I can see." So they, <laughs> so obviously, um, as we know in the system. Once you get found out, the system wants to destroy and crush you. So this is where we have a whole series of scenes and he's um, he's chased. He's chased by the police and you see some of the police are aliens and some are uh, some are human, basically, by shifting his glasses. Oh, yeah. And the two the two cops that the aliens like, come on, come with us. Let's not make this messy. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And um then uh, again, it's probably uh, symbolic in terms of John Carpenter trying to say the power that the banks have eventually having been uh, chased by the police and managed to outwit with the police who outwit the police who don't don't seem the the, the most competent police force in the world. Um, he's he's got all these arms. Uh, he's got all these weapons and he goes into he goes into the bank and he makes that famous speech. I've come to chew gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of gum. And he starts like shooting up the aliens in the bank. But as I just said, obviously uh, Carpenter's put that in perhaps to suggest the power of the banks within within the system overall. The fact that he, you know, went into the bank, raided a bank kind of thing. Would, would, would they, we would maybe deduce that. From... Do you know what I find the most interesting thing about that whole bank scene though is... You know, where did it come from? Why did you start shooting up a sure. bank full of people yeah. with a shotgun that spreads fire? Sure. But yeah. still, at least he only tried to target the aliens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. Yeah. An odd. It stands was, out. Yeah, it was a bit. Um, so he then, obviously, he he gets monitored uh, by all these spy drones. 
and you which that's again another is, future telling which is another future telling so what was it you had the spy drones um the thing we didn't mention earlier is when it was talking to the watch the smart watch oh, yeah, we've got nowadays watches. yeah yeah um he then um takes the character uh holly hostage um and she um in in the car park and then he he forces her to drive to drive to to her to her apartment and then there's a whole scene in the apartment and then she pushes him out well i have to admit just before we go to the pushing them out there yeah there was an odd scene about come on put on the glasses you've got to see it and she's like no no you're in control yeah you know i'll put on the glasses um you know if i don't see what you you want me to see i'll just say i saw it anyway and it was just like the weirdest lines ever yeah she was just playing like a weak role in in that particular scene yeah so um we now come up to one of the next main scenes this is after he he's he's um, been pushed out of the apartment he's all disheveled he go back he goes back to the alley because at this point he's lost his glasses falling out of the apartment so he goes back to the back alley finds the package or the box i should say with the glasses in now one thing i will say is that the um important part of that scene where they make out that he's lost his glasses is the whole idea that once you've waken up to the conspiracy you start wanting to tell people and when yeah. no one wants to listen to you and no one's getting the idea across it's like you lost your glasses, you lost faith in yourself. Sure. You just can't see it anymore. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then it comes to the, the famous fight scene pretty much right after. That's right. And and as a way of setting the scene in terms of Frank's resistance, who's, he's really angry. He says, I've got a wife and kids, so leave me alone. Uh, and Nada says, I'm trying to save you and your family's life. So again, that's a whole thing about, you know, when you're trying to wake someone up to your truth, you can appear completely crazy. Normally, because when people do that, they do it in quite an aggressive way. Yeah. Not that you should attempt to wake anyone up, because it is a uh, it is um, a complete waste of time, to be honest. Um, also, yeah, the harder you push them, the more stance they'll stay in their exactly, assistance. Exactly, yeah. Um, so during the fight scene, Nada says to Frank... Either you put these sunglasses on or start eating that trash can. <laughs> Good bit of cheese there. So in a way, the scene is comical and absurd. I believe it's one of the longest fight scenes in a movie. It's at least 10 minutes long, I think, if not more. And for me personally, it represents the difficulty and stupidity of trying to wake up friends and family who are lost in the blissful ignorance of the mainstream world. As I always say, let the sleepers sleep. It's not our job to wake them up. And the scene brilliantly explains in this in metaphor uh, how sometimes we could be guided, we could be misguided in our actions if we insist on trying to wake someone up. And at the end of the day, who is to say that we are more awake or conscious than someone else? Yeah. I mean, that's that's you know we've stumbled across some information uh, that may well be true or not, but you know it doesn't equate to enlightenment. But I, I mean, I was there. I completely. That's why I love this film so much. <laughs> I was there. You know, and and the other thing is, if they're your friends and family, and you're talking about things like fluoride vaccines, you're you want to alert them because you want to protect them. Yeah. And it's a very human thing to do. It's like the first thing. person's a shot. I finally figured out that bank scene. Right. Isn't always the first person to shout out 
there's a gun sort of thing. Um, in any situation, someone wants to alert everyone else and oh, warn them. Right, I've got you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so yeah. it's almost an elude reference. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Not yeah. the only reason, but, you know, no. one of. No, no, exactly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing us back to that. So, yeah, that, it is an amazing scene, the fight scene, although it can be quite hard viewing. <laughs> oh, especially <laughs> when it gets kicked in the nuts. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> But then again, I think that's quite important to put in there because when you start having these arguments with people about the system, um, it can get quite personal sometimes, yeah, can't yeah, it? Sure. Yeah, 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 it can. <laughs> it can because um, it, it's a very serious thing when you're trying to persuade someone to get them to question everything that they've ever believed. Not just in the media, it's actually about life itself. It's yeah. such a deep profound thing so eventually as we know um frank does eventually wear the glasses Nada, with a very bruised and bloody face with a very bloody, yeah um so they then walk through the city again and frank is obviously in a you know in a kind of a, a confused state as he begins to wear this the glasses and goes through a similar process that nada went through um, they then manage to, I don't know where they land up, some sort of safe house or motel or something, and they go through this sort of process of where they both sort of open up a bit about one another, don't they? Yeah, they yeah, open yeah. up about themselves. Bonding. Bonding, yeah, male bonding. <laughs> and um, an interesting point that I picked up is where Nada um, retraces his childhood, where he talks about, in a way, he talks about his relationship with his father and the abuse that he had from his father. And uh, in a way, he's it's almost like about a story of the loss of innocence because he says uh, at the end of the scene he says i'm not daddy's little boy anymore and it's almost uh, i equate this to the fact that when we grow up our parents and if we're boys normally it would be our dad that would tell us about the ways of the world and his dad was you know telling him about the ways of the world and now he's discovering for himself the truth of the world and it's like i'm not daddy's little little boy anymore i'm discovering the truth and for me that's like a little bit of loss of innocence i don't know how you saw that scene. well i saw it in the well loss of innocence being being you know threatened by your father yeah, as a sure. child yeah, that's, yeah, that's gonna lose your innocence pretty quickly yeah, absolutely yeah but i saw it as you know that whole scene when it's the back and forth um where rudy is talking about his past experiences and getting abused and beaten as a kid and then um, Frank goes on to say, um, so that's what they do. They get us fighting in ourselves. Sure. I bet they love watching um, the torture we inflict on ourselves, you know, the abuse we put onto other people. I bet they, you know, they're feeding off all that energy sort of thing. And then he goes back to say, I'm not, um, I'm not my daddy's little boy anymore as mm. a way of saying like, I'm actually going to take responsibility myself. I'm mm. I'm in control now. I'm going to mm. take down this system as mm. uh, you know, we're not going to let that happen anymore. Mm. Which is the complete opposite as we said before when initially uh Frank, you know, was saying I I just want to protect my family. I just want to earn my money, carry on with life. You know, that is the opposite of that where, where Nada's saying no, actually I'm a powerful sovereign human being and uh, I am in control. That's why I think that's a really key important scene yeah uh, obviously not as well known as the others but the, the dialogue and the narrative is really about him coming into his truth and empowerment in a way 
moving on from where they're kind of recovering at the safe house, they then meet up uh, with the rest of, well, he's like the leader of the resistance group. And this is the scene where they're all preparing for the one last battle, essentially, to try and wipe out um, the signal, I guess. And um, it's interesting because, again, um, there's this idea uh, you have the um, hacking again. It goes back to the hacking and it says that um, they treat us, the hacker says, they treat us like the third world, just like just another resource to be used. So, again, it's feeding into, you know, what we were, what we were saying before. Uh, about um, human consciousness, basically, and the way in which we're, we're all being exploited. But th they're also, um, in this scene, or a little bit further on, you see um, the Holly character, don't you? Again, she comes into it. Um, so obviously she's like a disinformation agent uh, who's trying to lead the group astray kind of thing. Uh, I'm not. We're not quite sure how she came into that scene, are we? Really, to be honest. Well, I'm pretty sure it was the fact that they knew the meeting was going on. They sent her in as kind of like a, you know, a spy. You've had contact. Go in sure. there, find out if they're there, and then we'll raid a place if you give us the signal. Yeah, and the leader of the group he talks about the need to locate the signal uh, and uh, to shut it off uh, in order to wake up the people. So there's this sense in which there's there's this one last. A uh, big battle um, that's gonna gonna um, take place. Um, then we see there's a scene whereby the police and the authorities um, there's street battles basically down back alleys. Yeah, um, because they were raiding them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, and this is where we see Nada and Frank. Um, they press their spe special teleport uh, watches, yep. and they 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 get and they zip, and then they. The next thing they know that they're in a secret sort of it's a bit like a what's well, an underground secret military base isn't it really? yeah basically <laughs> and you see them you see them walking around and they happen upon uh, a meeting that's taking place uh with um what the bilderberg meeting like is akin to the bilderberg uh where the alien intelligence um and the global elite they're having this meeting and they're talking about the success of their collaboration and what financial wealth and glories it's meant for the human inhabitants and the fact that the alien intelligence or the aliens they've managed to you know whatever it is that they're farming from humanity or whatever resources it is that they want um that they've managed to find so it's a bit like they're all slapping one another on the back and saying well done yeah it's basically moving. like a corporate um annual, you know annual report annual report, yeah. i mean what was it the most interesting bit he makes there is you know they said by our predictions we should have um all elements of the planet earth under our control by 2025 yeah <laughs> says it all doesn't it yeah it really does yeah quite pertinent timing um, this is again where we see um, the disinformation character again, uh, the chap who was part of the whole um, the whole homeless shelter. Um, this time he's obviously represented as being one of like one of the elite, I would assume, and he's trying to and he's saying to um, Nada and Frank, you know, you can join us. Basically, he's he's trying to bribe them. Isn't yeah, because really? yeah, he's sold out. He's sold out. He's saying, you know why not why not we're all on the same team you know everyone sells out eventually i think he says and again that's an example of, in which you know p 
people do uh, within the system, people who do begin to wake up, maybe people in the public eye, the system will try to buy them off. It won't worry about the likes of us because we don't have we're not in the public eye. But those that are in the public eye, the system, you know, will say, well, look, you're saying certain controversial things. Do you want your children to be educated, you know, into the future? Do you want a little island somewhere? So, you know, it will I try find to buy them off. Always within kind of like everyone thinks of that, it couldn't happen. No one could be controlling everything this simply. Sure. But then again, that's how it is. Everyone just sells out. Like, look, here's loads of money. You're living on easy street now. Just yeah. do what we tell you. Yeah, sure. And don't tell anyone about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's, that's basically um, what this sort of disinformation character is about and also obviously disinformation in that when you get into a lot of conspiracy research uh, like I did uh, I'm sure many other people have you become a bit naive because you don't scrutinize the information maybe to the same degree as if it was you know what would be considered mainstream information because obviously the intelligence agencies are employing people to put information out there to lead lead your lead researchers astray yeah exactly i mean i think the entire flat earth movement was just set up as let's make conspiracies look really ridiculous yeah. let's see how many people we can get believing sure. this bs as we've said before to discredit more credible conspiracy theories yeah and um the speaker uh, at this conference or at its annual review or uh akin to like a bilderberg type meeting he says uh, quite pertinently, the underground terrorist network has been defeated. So obviously that's talking about the underground group who are trying to bring down the aliens. And the fact, I think it's interesting in terms of uh, comparing to modern society, certainly since 9-11, any group that opposes, you know, the global elite, political elite, they are called terrorists, aren't they? Yeah. No matter... Uh, if they are actually terrorists, normally they're not. So again, that that's uh, an interesting no, no. use of language. They're only not called terrorists if the government is supporting them. Exactly. They call them insurgents. Exactly, then. <laughs> exactly. There are terrorists. When there are terrorists, they're the insurgents. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, they now move on with the uh, disinformation agent, and there's a scene where you see businessmen sort of flying off or teleporting to other planets or solar solar systems and again this is um you know john carpenter maybe revealing how much he knows about what is actually going on in terms of the fact that um these alien entities uh, and the elites they may be moving between different realms they may be moving between different planets yeah you know? going on they even said it like you know it was like a, an airport essentially that's, that's how it was described wasn't it yeah um there's it now moves on and they um nada and frank uh, find themselves at the tv studio uh, obviously trying to find where the signal is transmitted from and there's a lot of um kind of shooting um sort of thing uh, the disinformation is still the disinformation agent is still um, on the scene at this point, and he says a few things which I think are quite interesting, and certainly relevant to society and the world today. He says there aren't there are no countries anymore; they own the whole goddamn planet. What's the threat? We all sell out every day, so we might as well be on the winning team, like we were talking about before. Yeah. You know, just expediency at the at the end of the day. It's like, well, we're not in control, but you know, we're doing nice financially. Who cares? Let's just turn 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 a blind eye to the reality. Do you know? What I mean? Yeah, which is actually very very fitting into the story of um, 
you know, deforestation and um, sure. global warming and all this. Yeah, so this leads us to the final scene, uh, which is on top of uh, Cable 54, the building, the classic top of the building. Uh, and Nada manages to destroy the transmitter. Uh, he shoots Holly in the process, but is then um, killed himself. So what we have at the end is, uh, which can uh, be um, seen as much like the hero's journey, he makes the ultimate sacrifice um, for humanity. So he's obviously knocked out the signal, and then the, the film ends, and then uh, with the aliens being revealed in plain sight. So it goes to various scenes and shows the aliens being revealed and everyone panicking around them yeah like um, in when it cuts to the tv show and it's like oh my god how ugly are they and stuff <laughs> and everyone's just rolling out like, ah! so that that would be that would be fantastic if these uh if they do exist <laughs> but the funniest one has got to be um the final scene when um what was it the prostitute <laughs> on some guy she suddenly looks down see an alien and screams and that's it the film, and the film ends yes so um hope you've enjoyed our uh, run through of the different scenes um by watching the movie again a few times over mike i am struck how basically it's pretty much a, a commentary on modern society yeah um how accurate it's become with the technology that was involved in the film um, the elements that they portrayed, um, yeah, it's all very future. Oh, what's the word? Not futuristic. Well, it's very pertinent. Foretelling and foreboding in that sense. Yeah, sure. Um, the fact that this came out, what? Did 88. You say? 88. And, you know, it could have been made yesterday with all the elements that are in it. It's unbelievable and fantastic. And ever since I watched it, fell in love with this film yeah so if you guys haven't seen it please do go and check it out and as we said uh, this is the second of our um, series where we're going to do um, film reviews or film explorations I should say so um, thank you all for listening for, to today's episode uh, we hope you've enjoyed um, the show hope we haven't scared you too much because <laughs> they live uh, is quite a shall we say, an expe a scary expose of um, a lot of what's going on. Well, to be honest, the people listening to this most probably know what's going on yeah, to begin yeah. with. Yeah, sure. So if you'd like to keep up to date uh, with um, when we upload new episodes, please do press uh, the follow button on the Podomatic site. You can also follow us on Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook group. Uh, you're welcome to contribute. We've got a nice little following on there now and a Facebook page where you can message us uh, anything to do with the show, um, any uh, ideas for future shows, or any of your opinions would be gratefully received. So thank you all for tuning, um, tuning in today. And I'll just leave you uh, with these wise words. Uh, remember, listeners, if you're not in control of your consciousness, then someone else is. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.